0: Folks, if you have a Bible there, please do open it to Psalm 23. I'm aware that many of us could recite this psalm by heart. We're going to read it together. And we're going to remember that it is God's word. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What can I say about Psalm 23 that you haven't heard already? It's perhaps the most loved and most treasured portion of all scripture. I've read and I've preached on this psalm in wedding services and in funeral services. I read it at least once a month in pastoral visitation. I even have sung it with elderly folk. Uh, by the bedside people whose memory isn't what it once was and it nearly always gets a response even if you're not regular in worship you will know some at least of psalm 23 there are people here who have this psalm hanging on their wall at home as a painting or perhaps as a cross stitch and for others i've maybe sparked a memory of your grandparents house of course it's well known in popular culture the version there the tune that we sang the psalm to today was used at the wedding of prince charles to lady diana and then there's the obvious connection with a place such as this so many people here today are able to identify personally with this image of a shepherd and the sheep in a way that i am not There are so many people here who will hold this psalm very dearly. And for those people, I hope this sermon is a blessing to you. I hope it increases your love for this psalm. But there also might be people here who don't see what all the fuss is about, who don't particularly love Psalm 23. And I hope today I will be able to convince you why you should love this psalm. If you look at your Bible, you'll notice there's kind of three sections. At least in in my Bible, it's split up into three sections. And these these sections describe different aspects of the Christian life. There are times of plenty. That's the first section, verses 1 to 3. Times of fullness and completion. Times when we feel comfortable and satisfied. There are times of despair. That's verse 4. Rough times. Times when we cling to God because in a way it feels like God is all we have. Amazingly, it's in those times of despair that we know the comfort and love of God most deeply. And then finally there's verses 5 and 6. Times of joy. The joy of a feast that comes from the hope of God That comes from knowing that although we're surrounded by enemies in this life, God prepares a feast for us. He meets all of our needs today and forever. But life is messy, isn't it? Life is complicated. And so these sections are often intermingled for us. Even within a week or within a day. We can be going through a time of plenty in one aspect of our lives and a time of despair in another. And so this psalm has the message of the gospel for all of us today. If you've had a rough week, if you've had a week of despair or a week of fear, then Psalm 23 speaks to you. If you've had a wonderful week of joy, if you've had a week of of plenty where everything seems to be going right. Everything's working out for you. Well, this psalm still speaks to us. No matter how we have entered worship today, it is the same shepherd who cares for all of his sheep that we have come to worship. So please do have your Bibles open to Psalm 23. We're going to study it together. But before we turn to the verses, let's pray for God's help. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We thank you that in them we find your word. And we pray that you would help us today as we study this portion of scripture, as we study Psalm 23. We pray that you would illuminate our minds and enlighten our hearts. By the work of your Holy Spirit, would we understand and believe more deeply in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name and for his sake we pray. Amen. I think what's best for us to do is to work through one section at a time, and and, and almost, not quite, but almost verse by verse. The opening of the psalm should shock us, but it probably doesn't shock us the way it should The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, is my shepherd. If you look down at that word Lord in your Bibles, you'll see that it's in little capital letters. That's the Bible translator's way of letting us know that it was translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh or Yahweh. Older folk might be more familiar with the word Jehovah. That is the covenant name of God. It's the name that God used of himself when he spoke to Moses at the burning bush. The term, I am. I am. It's a term that's only used about the God of the Bible. And it carries this idea that God does not need or depend on Anyone or anything but himself. I want you to think about this for a moment. If I ask you, who are you? You might use the words I am, but then you would follow it with something else. We have to describe ourselves in relation to somebody or something else. I am a mother. I am a plumber. I am tall. I am ginger. You can tell that not all of these words are describing me. I am good at sport. I am top of my year in maths. You get the idea. We have to follow the I am with something else. It has to be relating to, to somebody or something else. When God describes himself, he simply says, I am. He doesn't need anybody else. He doesn't need anything else. God is totally independent. And yet, in the opening of this psalm, we read the I am is my shepherd. Not master, not king, not commander. All of those things are true. God is all of those things. But in this psalm, David tells us that God is his shepherd. Of course, the boy David would know the Torah. He would have known the first five books of the Bible. He would have learned alongside his brothers about his own family tree. David descended from Jacob's fourth son, Judah. David would have known that in Jacob's final words before he died that He described God as the shepherd of Israel. And so imagine the the boy David out on the hillside watching over his father's sheep. Surely this came back to him time and time again. David thinking, I am a shepherd and the Lord is my shepherd. Even though shepherds were despised. In those days, they, they were thought of as dirty and dishonest in that society. Surely David reflected on the words of Jacob and it led him to conclude, just as Jacob said, God is the shepherd of Israel, so the Lord is my shepherd. And as we read the psalm, as we read it through the lenses of the New Testament... As we understand about Jesus, then each one of us can say that God is our shepherd. That the Lord, the Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the only being in all of the universe that is totally self-sufficient, he has chosen out of grace and love to be my shepherd. What a thought that is. We probably all know this psalm well enough to know what follows. What does it mean that the Lord is our shepherd? It means guidance. It means protection. It means care. It means I shall not want. I have no wants in this life or in the next. I don't want for anything. And the psalm gives examples of that. There's the green grass, the good pastures. It's something that can't be taken for granted in this life. But it's where God leads us. He leads us to good green grass. He leads us beside still waters. He takes us to a place where the wants and needs of a sheep are met. Places of comfort and satisfaction. God leads us. He leads us to rest. Of course... That means following him. That means following him, doesn't it? We can't expect to get where the shepherd is going if we wander away from the path. And what is the path? Well, we see what his path is in verse 3. You see it there? He leads me in paths of righteousness. Again, we put this through the lens of the New Testament. And Jesus, who described himself as the good shepherd, what did he say? He said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. The path of righteousness is difficult and it's narrow. It's hard to follow along the path of righteousness. It, 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 means, it means not going the way that you want to go. It means giving up your desires, your wants, your dreams. It, it means trusting that Jesus will meet all of those things in his way and in his time. That he will give you all that you need, that he possesses everything you need. Jesus is the righteousness of God. Following in his path is difficult. It, It means admitting that we're not righteous on our own, it means admitting I'm not a good person, I can never make myself good. I hear people ask that question why do good things or sorry why do bad things happen to good people? There are no good people. The difficulties of this world affect us all. That's not quite true, is it? There was one good person. There was one. One good person ever in the history of this world and he was killed. He was crucified for your sins and for mine he was the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep you see following christ means admitting that we're not good that's hard to admit it means admitting that we have sin in our lives and there's nothing we can do about it we can't clean it up by ourselves So sad to hear in the past week about this pride celebration in Belfast. A celebration of sin. Pride is a sin. And yet it's being celebrated along with slogans like just be yourself. Let me tell you what myself is. I am a wretched sinner. If you if you only knew the depths of the sin. In my heart, I'm a sinner before a holy God, and that is not something to celebrate. Some of you feel that as well, I know you do. Some of you feel guilt over your own sin, you feel the weight of it. There are things that you have done that you wish you could go back and undo, things that you wish would just go away and stop eating at your conscience. But friends, there's nothing you or I can do to clean up our own sin. We need to trust in Christ. He is the righteousness of God. And by following him, we receive that righteousness. A righteousness that doesn't come from within us. It comes from outside of us. In Jesus, we are made the righteousness of God. Although our sins are crimson, yet we can be made white as snow. Sinful creatures made into new creations. Creations who glorify and enjoy God forever. It's for his name's sake that we follow this path. It's to give him glory. Glory which he alone is due And it's for that glory that through his grace and through his mercy, he has come to us in the person of Jesus. He's given us the faith to believe. And he unites us to Christ. So that we are righteous. Just as he is righteous. Living in sin and celebrating sin, that's a broad path. That leads to destruction. But the good shepherd, the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep and he will lead us on paths of righteousness. And if we follow him, we can be sure and certain that we will find ourselves in green pastures beside still waters, glorifying and enjoying God. But the path is difficult. It's not an easy path. The psalm goes on to explain that it's a path through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the next section. In that valley, as we're surrounded by death, as we're in the shadow of death, what does the psalm say? It says, I will fear no evil. Even in that valley, even in the most difficult of times, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Friends, we go through difficult times, but God never abandons us in those times. That's the central truth of the Bible. It's the heart of the covenant of grace that God is with his people. God is with you. I don't know what you're going through. God is with you through it all. The past couple of years, that the last two and a bit years of pandemic have, have shown us that we are fearful people. We are fearful in the face of death. Aren't, aren't we scared of dying? It's one of the greatest fears we all share. But this psalm shows us that even in that valley of the shadow of death, even in the most difficult and dire times, we don't need to fear because God is with us. Think about how Jesus read this psalm and and, and how he thought about it as he went to the cross. As he himself faced death. He knew exactly what he was headed for. And yet he walked that valley. And in that valley he did not need to fear and the same can be true for us. The same can be true for us. If you want a memory verse... Not a, a verse to memorize. I know the boys and girls are good at that. Maybe uh, those of us who are older should be good at memorizing scripture as well. Psalm one hundred and sixteen, verse fifteen, says, "Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints." Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Precious. How is it precious? Something we have so much fear of is precious to God. Well, I think, and I've used this before, that there's a section in the Westminster Confession of Faith that helps understand that. Just think on these words. It says, the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, our souls immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. I want to say two things about that. The first thing is to say that upon our death, we are received into the highest heavens and we behold the face of God in light and glory. That's all of the green pasture and the still waters and the running over cups that we could ever desire. To behold the face of God in his light and his glory, having been made perfect in holiness. What a wonderful future. What a wonderful future there is for those of us who are trusting in Christ. That's why it's precious to God. But secondly, I want to point out that word immediately. Immediate. It means that there's not one moment, there's not one millisecond when you're separate from Christ. Jesus said to the thief on the cross beside him, Today you will be with me in paradise. He wasn't telling a lie. Through the valley of the shadow of death and out the other side, we do not need to fear because our shepherd is with us. He's with us the whole time. We've talked about the rod and the staff, the, the two things that comfort us. And we live this whole life, don't we? From, from birth to death, we, we live under the shadow of death. It, it waits for all of us. But God, by his staff, he leads, he guides, he rescues. By his rod, he protects and corrects us. The rod and staff, of course, come through God's word. God's word is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, then we come to the final section of the psalm, the joy section, a feast prepared for us. Here we have this this good shepherd and following him on paths of righteousness leads to his glory. But it doesn't only lead to his glory, it also leads to our enjoyment. In this life and in the next life, we get to feast. It's a narrow road, it's difficult, it's lived in the shadow of death. But in the midst of all of that, in the presence of our enemies, God prepares a table for us. God allows us to enjoy pleasure in this life. The picture of a cup overflowing, a a feast that will never run out. Eat and drink until you're satisfied and then rest. And then do it all again. Think of the joy that you can have in a Christian life. The sweet fellowship with other believers. The delight of discovering something you've never realized before about Jesus. Hearing that somebody has come to faith in Christ. The realization that the gospel is like a never ending mine with a fresh pleasure just around the corner. Just as we follow the Good Shepherd through this life, do you see what's following us? Goodness and mercy. I've heard uh, goodness and mercy pictured this week as two lovable golden retrievers. That obviously appealed to me. Two happy and keen dogs who are just constantly at your heel for support and encouragement. No matter how rough or rocky the path, when you turn around, there's goodness and there's mercy. When you're facing difficulty in this life, a pandemic, the loss of a loved one, the genuine gloom that is facing all of us entering a recession. We turn around and there in Christ is goodness following right behind us. When you're facing temptation to sin. When you're battling against the inner man who wants you to disobey God. When you worry about fitting in with the crowd who don't give a second thought to God's commandments. When it feels like it would be easier to take the broad road. And when you give in to every one of those sins. You wonder how could God love someone like me. And you turn around and there is mercy right at your heel. The God of mercy. Deeper than the sin in our lives, offering forgiveness and wholeness once again through Christ. Friends, this is a life of ups and downs, times of plenty and despair and joy and all of those mixed together. David knew that. Jesus knows that. You know it as well. But I hope that through it all, we can say the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me.